0: Oh, recorded live. Scuba Obsessed weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 227 was recorded live January 15th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the west side of Michigan, where if it isn't crazy enough, it looks like it's going to get some above freezing weather. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: And also from where I think it is a little bit warmer than our negative seven, uh, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim?
2: I'm just great. I'm joining you tonight from the west side of
0: Florida. He's, that that's, that's Florida. That's like... That's below Indiana or something?
2: Florida, USA, yeah. It's it's that handle that sticks out down on the bottom right of the United States.
0: Ah, so how's the weather?
2: Terrible. It was so cold today. Come on, I'm waiting for the how cold weather. Oh, uh, How cold was it? It was so cold today.
1: How cold was it?
2: It was so cold today that I had to put
1: on long pants. Oh, that
0: is terrible!
2: Terrible!
0: Who who goes to Florida and even has long pants? Now I I can see some you know, like some you know white socks and sandals, but you know long pants. Long pants. Well, I think you'd have been wearing a little bit more than long pants. I I, I had that error message on my iPad this week where it got a little confused. It it shut down. And I looked at the screen, and it said it needed to cool down. And I don't know where you cool down from negative seven. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Blast through some of this, these articles. Um, the the first one, and it's uh, it's it's a podcast. You can listen to the whole thing. It's uh, NPR radio out of Michigan, and uh, they're saying that the archaeologists doubt that the they're doubting the validity of. It's the griffin that's been found.
2: Oh, no. Tell me it isn't so.
0: <laughs> and uh, Mac and I both listened to it, and uh, I'll, well, we might take some clips out and use them from time to time. And, and who they were, what it was is NPR Radio was interviewing the uh, Dean Anderson, Michigan State archaeologist, and then an underwater archaeologist with NOAA, National Oceanographic and Atmosphere Administration, Wayne, Wayne Lasardi uh, from Thunder Bay. And Mac, what, what was your take? Did you get that they had any reason for it not being the
1: Griffin? Well, it, it seems like they had no evidence whatsoever that it existed. Therefore, it must not exist. Meaning somebody hasn't given them the cannon or actual photographs to the state yet saying, wow, look at this. So they don't have anything to compare it with. So they're basically saying, based on the past, that everybody else has said they found it and have not. This one is obviously the same way. It's a feel-good aspect. They found something, but it's not the Griffin. And as a side note, even if it is, it doesn't matter because it belongs to the state. <laughs> and you can read it, listen to it yourself, and see if you don't come to the same conclusion.
0: Yeah, I, I that was my take on it, too. Was, And, and maybe it's just because you know the way the interview went it, it was, it was kind of like the approach that if if a shipwreck hasn't been found when you find a shipwreck whatever you found wasn't it so yeah, every, everything's got every possibility until you start narrowing it down and you do that by the evidence that's there you know part of that's location part of that's what the vessel's made of the cargo it has uh objects on it and you take time and you start whittling it down and you, uh, in the beginning it's like every shipwreck every ship that's ever been the great lakes could be a possibility and you you get down to where it's just two or three and you know you take a educated guess so um you know i i, I you know one aspect i agree that you you can't necessarily call to griffin Um uh, and i and i think the griffin probably does get used quite a bit because you know that automatically gets you a big headline but are we you know do we just say nothing's nothing's anything you know, but maybe they need to adopt what we do, or we just name it after uh, whoever found it until we are sure.
1: I, I just
2: I, the say like to... partway up the St. Joe River, and we're going to find it.
1: <laughs> it. It could be. I, I just, just like term like in,
2: in, the, in the lake, it won't fall under the state's bottomlands criteria.
1: Actually, I think they'll take exception to that. Yeah. If, if you look at some of the ones we're looking at up north of us a little bit, if you know the ones I'm talking about, like the Condor, yeah. accordingly, that's uh, gonna be on the historical wreck preservation aspect, so that doesn't exactly mean if it's not in the Great Lakes bottom, it doesn't count. Anyway, my, my only comment here, I, I sort of agree with a lot of what he said. Uh, the only thing is doubt validity of the shipwreck find until there is some tangible items to look at.
0: I am proud. Why would you doubt it?
1: You could just say, until we see parts and pieces that we can start dating, I really don't have a comment. And they didn't do that. They took the, the complete opposite. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe what they're doing is they're odds makers for bookies. And that's what they're doing. They're doing the odds paper.
1: Well, if the odds were pretty good and you were the guy that found it and you had the cannon and just didn't tell anybody, I'd sure put a lot of money on that bet. <laughs> but that's just me.
0: Now, The next one we have is a follow-up from uh, the week before. If you remember, we had a few uh, student divers who were surprised to have Tom Cruise in their diving class, and we were kind of speculating, you know, why was he in there? And we were surprised he hadn't been since he had done Mission Impossible, and it appears to be that's the reason why he was in the class. It's now coming out that Mission Impossible 5 has quite a few scuba sequences in, and that is why he was getting his certification.
1: It's always nice to see the big names do that because that does enhance people saying, wow, let me try that because a lot of people see it.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it creates some credibility uh, for it. And then there's also the chance that he'll love it you know, like we do. And, you know, when the paparazzis take pictures of you coming in and out of the water with dive gear on, that does nothing but help the sport.
2: Well, now that you guys have broken the story, I can give you the rest of the story.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: I'm down here in Florida prepping to be his uh, stunt
1: double.
0: Oh, oh, well, you know, that—that that is entirely believable.
1: And, and you guys are wearing large, oversized dry suits, right?
2: They, they say we look so much alike that they wanted me to be his scuba stunt double.
1: Ah. Is
0: that for close-ups?
2: Yeah, the kind of close-ups you take, Mac. Now, is there a
0: hot tub scene? Did you get that stunt double spot, too?
2: Well, it depends how, what the stunt
1: is. <laughs> Oh, I thought you guys were saying stud. He's playing
0: the stud. <laughs> well, uh, a Canadian federal judge stops plans to sink a former Navy vessel. The HMCS Annapolis was slated to be sunk. And uh, let's see, what was the judge doing? A federal court judge ordered a ship must not be moved from its present location at Long Bay, effectively putting on hold the sinking plans. A judge said all concerned must wait until the injunction is heard on January 27th. Environmental Canada is granted a permit for the sinking of the HMCS Annapolis to turn it into an artificial reef for divers and marine life, but the safe Hawket Bay Marine Park society was against it based on test results conducted by an independent laboratory in the vessel. They said a paint sample from the 1960s, former helicopter carrying destroyer yielded a hard, highly toxic compound that could eventually be harmful to the immediate environment, marine life under.
1: Yeah. That's one thing that's going to be really good. Cause if you really enforce that aspect, we can never have another another naval warfare event? Right, you can't.
0: You wait can't wait have, a
2: you can't. highly toxic paint compound on a U.S. military vessel? Well, this is
0: Canadian, but, yeah.
2: Canadian military vessel. Highly toxic paint compound. Don't they call that lead-based paint?
0: Well, that's what they'll find out. It was somebody stalling for something. And, uh, I mean, there's so much. I mean, not that I'm I'm for adding more waste to the water, but. Some of these things are just plain ridiculous. You know, when, when you're in a, a war, I think that's what you're alluding to, Mac, and they sink one of these things, there's no permit. You know, It's got a
1: little oil, gas, diesel, you name it.
0: Yeah, you've, you've got everything going on at that point. So here's one where somebody spent some time cleaning it up, and they're obsessing about uh, a paint fleck.
1: Yeah, their, their item they're talking about, by the way, that's um, uh, it's called TBT. I think it's tributyling tin. Bulating? No, no chemist. Bottom line, it's a biocide used in anti-fouling paint, and that's where they're getting their toxic to marine life.
0: Hmm. So, I mean, did they strip that paint off, or did they leave that on?
1: It, it didn't say from what I'm looking at. I was just looking at the the uh, anti-foulings are effective. They're highly toxic for marine organisms, and if you use that definition, that's where they're getting there. You can't do that. Well, how, I'm trying to get to the part that shows what is the release amount.
2: Well, right, and
1: how... Are they-
2: Are they going to stop putting that paint on the bottom of all the ships?
1: Absolutely not.
2: Oh, so it's okay to be on a ship when it's running through the water and leaching off, but it's not okay to be on a ship when it's sitting in the bottom buried in some mud. Yeah. I love permit logic.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like.
1: Well, if you look at what they're looking at here is they're saying that The reason it adheres to bed sediments because it's high specific gravity and low solubility. Then they come around and say, but the absorption of the sediments is reversible, depends on the pH of the water. And 95% of the TBT released from the sediments go back into the aquatic environment. So they used it because it was the best and it was inexpensive. So I don't know what they're going to do now.
0: Well, and then if the, if it had been cleaned up and there's still a little on there, was this a case of somebody just running around and scraping the one corner that nobody can get to?
1: Yeah, that's the other aspect. I don't know.
0: But this doesn't mean it's not going to sink. It just means that the judge is giving time to look at the evidence.
1: I'm just curious if if this one applies to this boat. What about the other ones? Is it the same thing, or is it something different?
0: Well, yeah. And do, do they? Are you going to make everybody pull up the ones they've already sunk? I mean, if if you're uh, completely against artificial reefs, you want to stop it forever, make make people pull them out. So hopefully, this continues to go through.
1: It'll still be interesting to see the results of the toxicity aspect and see why it applies to this one but not to others. Are you still that way? Yeah,
0: I'm still here. I'm just uh, I I think the internet in general just is broken, or it's a government website. I'm going to now, so maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I was this is one I was I I I think this is actually the NOAA.gov site. Yeah. So uh, we we may. I'll, I'll, we'll just delay this one. And come back to it.
1: I'm I'm on mine, and it looks interesting. I always love it when they say it's a pristine shipwreck. I love the side scan. Yeah, because pristine.
0: Well, it, it's not coming to mind. So why don't you cover it and say what it is? Oh. Well, it's
1: it's from NOAA and it's called Shipwreck Detectives: Making Waves, Episode 129. And it starts out really nice. It's showing you a real good side scan of a boat, a shipwreck uh, discovered in November of 2014. And they made a 3D image of the city of Rio de Janeiro, which uh, some historians consider it to be the Titanic of the Golden Gate. And uh, this is what they're talking about here, showing it. And there's obviously not, not a video, but you know, a video that you would have to go through to listen to it.
0: Yeah, and uh, they they actually have a uh, well. I like what they did. I'd love to do that myself is they have the uh, transcript from the whole show down below.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: but the, Are you there?
1: Or did you find it?
0: Yeah, it finally did end up loading.
1: Okay, gotcha. I'll let you uh, take it. Uh,
0: but the, the, the video. Now, this is the one, I think, was this the one we covered a couple years ago where they had found it and it was by the Golden Gate Bridge?
1: Yes, matter of fact, that is.
0: Yeah. It'd be so they, nice
1: to go back and find the other pictures of it to see yeah. if that were it. But it appears to be. Yeah.
0: So th- they've got much better, much higher resolution 3D scans, but it is highly buried in the sediment. If you had been looking at a low res scan, you'd have thought that was the bottom.
1: Yeah, you would not have known.
0: But it's, it's cool.
1: Well, it, it's interesting because it's not really lost. People just forget about it because it had been doled before because it sank in 1901. It's not that long ago, really.
0: No, no. And we had, you know, recovery hard hat divers. Yeah.
1: But I didn't realize it was the worst marine time disaster in San Francisco history. But in 1901, there's not a hell of a lot of history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, know, you can, when you couch a statement, you there's something that almost anything can be known for.
1: Yeah, the article is worth reading. I, I'm just editing it here for you a minute, but mm-hmm. it looks quite extensive, a lot of interesting detail and minutia, and then the pictures themselves are great.
0: Yeah. Beautiful and, boat. Yeah, and, he, and he's talking about uh, uh, submerged Native American sites that are, are waiting to be discovered and explorations dating back to 1595 as far as shipwrecks.
1: I didn't realize that Spain had galleons that Saint Augustine mm-hmm. in Drake's Bay, California, I didn't realize that. It makes sense, though.
0: Yeah. yeah. Everybody was. It was a big grab. Everybody was looking for ways to get gold and spices and other things.
1: Yeah. I'd like to find that one we looked at before that had a, they believe it was a Chinese junk off of California. Oh, yeah. And that just shows you, just like you said, everybody wants to trade. Everybody's looking for gold and spice and what can, you know, how can I make a buck and what unusual stuff do you have? Mm-hmm. I'm going to save this one myself. I want to come back and look through that stuff. That looks yeah. nice.
0: And here we have, let's see, where's it, Bermuda. They're saying that you can be part of the first annual winter lionfish tournament. First annual anything just makes me want to laugh. So are they committing to there being a second? So this is a lionfish culling program, and it's going to be a three-week-long lionfish tournament for permitted lionfish hunters in Bermuda. And what they're allowing is with every lionfish caught between now and Sunday, February 1st, counting towards a tournament total. There'll be prizes for the scuba diver and freediver who can catch the most lionfish with the tournament directors hoping to add additional prizes for runners-up. Divers and fishermen across the island are reporting very large numbers of lionfish in shallow waters 30 to 60 feet, often less along the shore and even in instances like St. George's Harbor. Last Sunday, 14 were caught by John, at John Smith's Bay alone. They said this will be a bare-bones operation, so we don't have plans to hold a proper weigh-in event at this time. However, we are offering cash prizes. The scuba diver catches the most lionfish as long as the totals more than 10 will receive $200. The freediver catches the most lionfish as long as it totals more than 5 will also receive $200. The largest and smallest fish captured will be worth $50 each. If it can be arranged, we hope to have multiple prizes for runners-up. Stay tuned for those details.
1: I wonder, is this per day? Because if you're out there and you wanted to win some money, seems like you could get more than ten a day, and that would be a lot of you know, that would be a lot more than ten, you know, 150, 200 fish.
0: I, I don't get the impression it's uh that's per day.
1: I, I don't either. And that's why I'm curious. Ten seems like a very low number, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. It, well, it does. I think what they're trying to do is make it attractive for you know, if you're only if you're on a vacation and you're going to only dive one day, to make it sound like you can do it. But they're but they're also deciding if nobody comes in with more than 10, we're not forking out any money. Uh, th- this comes across as uh, somebody trying to get creative with, hey, how do we address this problem and we don't have any budget whatsoever to do it? Because it doesn't sound like it was very long organized. Yeah.
1: I hope we have some follow-up on it. It'll be interesting to see what they did do.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully they'll, they'll be announcing the winners, and maybe that will have some additional details.
1: Yeah, because if you're local, why not go out there and try to earn 200 bucks?
0: But uh, you have to get a permit if you're waiting to renew your culling permit until the weather warmed up. Hopefully, this will provide incentive to renew sooner than later. You can hunt on your hunt on your old permit until Friday, January sixteenth. But you should email a renewal application to Fisheries by five p.m. that day.
1: I, I am curious about one statement, though. What's that? Until the weather warmed up again. What the hell does that mean? I didn't know it got cold out there. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, people in those tropics, you know, it's it's too cold. The water temperature was probably had to be in the 60s or something. So what they're telling you is they said, please freeze all the lionfish as soon as possible. Keep them frozen until you deliver them to Robertson's Marina. Said, you only well, I like
1: need... the part where they say, keep them frozen. For us, we just toss them up over on the ice and they freeze.
0: Yeah, we, we would have instant frozen.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see a follow-up on this one. That's going to be interesting. Hopefully they have pictures too.
0: Now... Panama City is holding NOAA diver training courses, and this is in the panhandle. Some scientists are calling Bay County home for a few weeks while they become certified professional divers. The National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration is teaming up with FSU Panama City so that researchers can grab their fins, masks, and tanks. The NOAA program enables students to take their ocean research to a new level under the sea. It is to be held every January in Key West, but there's been some changes and Bay County will benefit. And it makes sense because Bay County, especially Panama City, is the hub of diving and ocean research throughout the world. This according to Michelle Zin- uh, Zinziger. Zin-Zizer? There's too many Z's in there. Director of uh, Advanced Science Diving at FSU. The Navy Diving School is here, so we thought, hey, this would be a perfect spot. Mark Pickett, manager of NOVA Diving Training Center, said. And the costs are much reduced from Key West, so this year we're giving it a shot for the first time here in Panama City. They said it's not about becoming a commercial diver, but rather professional divers, and that happens in no more than three-week course. So what? So are they dissing commercial divers?
1: I don't think so, but I, I, if you click on that course that's uh-huh. highlighted, uh, it goes to a, show me something from somebody else. I, I'd like to know what the course is. You know, for, you know a three-week for, for yeah. professional diver?
0: Yeah, when, whenever you're in these websites and you see those double underlines, yep. those have nothing to do with what that word is. Right. That's, that, that's those websites. And advertisers, you need to stop spending your money with these junk peddlers because you're not getting any value for that. It's a, it's a fake traffic. Um, so what I'm – now I know that when we've, we've done some articles on, on Florida specifically. They had requirements where recreational certified divers weren't allowed to actually help. So is this a program where they're trying – you're not quite commercial – but you're to the level where they can let you become a volunteer.
1: I, I don't know because generally for the for the colleges, it's my understanding you have to be a research diver, usually trained at their facility to their requirements. Or if yours are more stringent, you can work for somebody else. So I, I don't know, but I'd like to see what this course is for a professional diver.
0: Yeah, well, it was a three week program, so that's not a short amount of time. But it would be something <laughs> yeah. that if it if it gives you, you know, like when when we're trying to do some archaeology. If we were NOAA certified, would that help?
1: Well, you know, they're saying studying everything from coral reefs to climate change. That makes you a professional diver. I, I would think it's <laughs> the skills involved in performing work, and not to say that, you know, coral knowledge is, is not necessary. Climate change, I'm not quite sure where that's coming from, but I'm ignorant about that anyway, according to some people. <laughs> uh, so, again, I'd like to see what the core syllabus is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can we can dig that up.
1: Because the second item comes to me is if you're a freshwater diver, let's say the Great Lakes only, Mm -hmm. is a professional diving certification a little different? One would think so.
0: Well, it would, if you were limiting your activities to just that location. But then the other thing is, are these divers down here in the panhandles, are they going to get the training where they would be qualified to come to freshwater?
1: Again, that's why it would be interesting to see the syllabus. And
0: then the BBC had a nice article on deep diving whales. And I want to say every time they show these charts, they add a new whale that goes a little bit deeper than the ones from before.
1: Well, you know, the, those guys see the other ones getting to publicity, and they want to say, yeah. I could do better than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like how we got free divers. The whales are all competing, trying to get deeper.
1: Yeah, a little competition. 9,800 feet is pretty, pretty extreme, don't you think?
0: Yeah, it's a little deeper than uh, I think I'm going to go ever yeah ever (laughs) even in in something else
1: Uh, let me rephrase that i bet you could but one it's not gonna be with a single breath and two you're not coming back
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, you you need to be james cameron and have a that amount of money if you're gonna do it
1: Uh, you can have that 200 pound anchor to your ankle and you can probably do the same but you can make the depth you probably won't make the coming back though
0: well it's not showing me the chart oh there's here's a chart so what we're referring to is the B, in the BBC they said the secret of animals that dive deep in the ocean it's quite a long, long article and it's good I I call it almost National geographic type of an, of an article and uh, it came down that Culver uh is this the name of the whale Culver's beaked whales or is that is he the the, the person doing the study I and, don't know well, so what it's they it, it have a nice chart that they they published and it shows you know relative uh, depth and size of different animals so they've got a killer whale and they show how deep that goes and as they go down they go through the weddell seal and the long fin pilot whale and then they get down to the sperm whale which is, by that point you're getting down to over 2000 meters deep and then uh then they they have okay. why is that name so hard to pronounce culvers Oops. I'm th- I'm thinking of that the burger chain the one from Wisconsin, Cul- Culver's covers.
1: I don't see an L in there.
0: I know there's not, but my mind is is not going to let me say it without the L. Covers, covers. Does they need pronunciation? Maybe, maybe a, uh, a little show prep, maybe <laughs> that might do it.
1: I didn't know an elephant seal could hold his breath two hours.
0: That that seems like a long time. But are are they? Do they get in the ice a lot?
1: Well, I I was saying that could be a very positive item because I don't want to be looking for my hole to get back out. Yeah, man, I could do a lot of grubbing if I could do that.
0: <laughs> if you could hold your breath for that long, yeah, you could get a lot a lot of grubbing done. But what what's the depth that they're saying that this can get down to?
1: Well, see that uh, the B twelve was two thousand nine hundred ninety two meters. The elephant seal was only sixteen hundred and fifty three meters only. Ah. I didn't realize there was that many different types of uh, whales, either.
0: Oh, there's there's tons of them. And then, that so that was... That window
1: ahead. seal, that gets down to 740 meters.
0: It's like, what are you doing down that deep?
1: Well, they said it's because of the, the food supply. Uh-huh. It's like, I didn't realize they had that much stuff down there. I thought it was more... Well, Boy, I thought it's, you're up in that 100, 200 feet level is where you have all the life, based on photosynthesis and all that kind of stuff.
0: Well, and that's the thing is is it's got to be pretty darn dark down there.
1: Yeah, how do they see? Yeah,
0: so you're going down that dark. Yeah, like the whale, the sperm whales going after giant squid. That kind of makes sense because I think what they probably do is the squids you have the long tentacles and they kind of swim through it and they kind of you know, they brush against something. And they say that's. I think that's something I can eat. But a seal, that seems like an awful long way to go down. But these uh, beaked whales, they're going 2,992 meters. And that is is—that is ridiculous. Well,
1: it, you know what's amazing about that? You know, that's 100 times the pressure at the surface. Mm-hmm. The second part is they exhale 90% of the air in their lungs before they go down. Really? Because it reduces their buoyancy, making it easier to die.
0: Yeah, cause you, 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 well, and then it's just going to compress anyway.
1: Yeah, they said they, they have rib cages that fold down, collapsing the lungs, reducing air pockets. But if I breathe 90% of my air out, I don't think I can stay down 15 seconds.
2: Yeah,
0: they said at a 1,000 th- meters down, the beaked whales experience 100 times the pressure that they do at the surface. So they have no air in their lungs at that point. So they're just, it's the oxygen that's already in their blood system that they're surviving on.
1: Oh, that second part, I just realized they did this. They talk about it. They stop their breathing. They shunt blood flow from their extremities to the brain, heart, and muscles. They shut down digestion, kidney, and liver function. And they lower the heart rate. And the average for the window seal is four beats per minute.
0: Yeah, I've heard that, that the, the, the heartbeat goes way down. But I think they've even found the same thing with uh, uh, freedivers, that they do something similar.
1: Four beats per minute?
0: Well, not four beats, but they're... The, 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 the heart will slow down.
1: That's freaking amazing.
0: Yeah, and, and remember, these are mammals, so.
1: I The other part, they're talking about marine mammals have a higher percentage of oxygen-storing red blood cells than most mammals making their blood thick and uh, vis- viscous. Duh. Viscous? Yes, and they have that high blood-to-body volume ratio, which gives them more capacity for oxygen already in their blood.
0: Yeah, I guess it's survival and for food, you'll go down.
1: Well, I like the part down here says, based on everything we know, it shouldn't be possible for animals to do this.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, they're that's admitting it.
1: That's basically what he's saying.
0: Yeah. Well doesn't yeah. It, you know, it they shouldn't be, but they are. Yeah, I yeah. remember
2: to say bumblebees can't fly either.
0: Uh, it's aerodynamically impossible.
1: I thought it was hummingbirds.
0: <laughs> Them too.
1: Yeah, especially backwards. That's pretty neat though. Yeah,
0: that's a good article.
1: Oh what? Uh, one item, though, they're talking about they still have to deal with the disorder called decompression sickness because they're also at risk. Because I was curious, since you are already taking down what you have.
0: I would think it would be less likely you're not adding it because you're not. When, when we're diving at depth, as we're going down, we're adding more air we're breathing. So our body or our blood is able to start absorbing that. So you keep, it's like you're, we're just packing it on as we go down. Um, you know, there's, they're still going to compress the gases that are already there. And I bet if you had tissues that would cause them to collect or build up, that would be possible. Cause there was another study we, we read, I think it was six to nine months ago and they were looking at, uh, damage to tissues and, uh, that would be what we would call the bends and they were finding evidence that mammals were having those, you know, water based mammals. And here's one I didn't really review a whole lot, but it, 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 the title caught my eye. The World's Nine Most Haunted Bodies of Water. So we'll go oh, a through backyard these. backyard
1: septic tank.
0: You said a septic tank? Yeah.
1: Uh, you ever opened up a backyard septic tank?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, several times. Yeah, that is, uh, it may not be haunted, but it's definitely not a place you want to go. Yeah, my uh, I can remember my dad and I working on a septic tank and my mom would make us change in the backyard because she said there was no way those clothes were coming in the house. Uh, but the first one on their list is the uh, macaque swamp in Louisiana. So this is the bayou. So they're saying that's a haunted place. There's supposedly a woman named Julie White or Julie Brown, a voodoo priestess who got her jollies freaking out neighbors by predicting one day I'm going to die and I'm going to take you all with me. Legend has it that her funeral will be held the day, the very day the deadly 1915 New York, Orleans, oh New Orleans hurricane struck, burying her entire town into the wake.
1: I like the part above it where they're talking about. I'm not going to pronounce that word, but it's a bloodthirsty Cajun variation of the werewolf. Oh, uh, in that swamp
0: ragu. I'm going to say ragu, <laughs> spaghetti sauce. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah it, it it's it's French, so I'm not even going to be able to. Uh, or Creo, I'm, I'm not going to get that. And Then they've got the Okikiku Well in Japan, which I, I, I would not expect that to be pronounced right. That's uh, O-K-I-K-U. And they said this is the... Uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to mention the city. So someplace over there across the Pacific, <laughs> they said that this well is, is to be haunted. The tail behind is a ghost that was involving a servant girl who caught the eye of a married samurai who used his job or her job Tending a set of very important plates against her to try and force her to be his mistress, she refused. So he killed her by throwing her body. That's right, Noel. And then here we got Haunted Lake, New Hampshire. Uh, oh, Chuck Lagoon, Micronesia. Now that one kind of makes sense for the for those who are aware. That was the World War II. I'll just call it ghost, not ghost graveyard. Uh, shipwreck graveyard. All the vessels. Uh, in in chuck lagoon biggest graveyard in the world just a week before the attack the japanese military had moved additional ships into the area As a result approximately 250 japanese aircraft were destroyed and more than 50 ships sunk 400 japanese soldiers were killed in one ship alone trapped in the cargo hold most of the fleet remains exactly in the same spot it was left largely forgotten by the world until the 1960s in 1969 Jacques Cousteau documentary, The Wreck, Strewn Waters, became a massively popular scuba diving destination and most of the left behind bodies were removed and buried, though some remain.
1: I remember when that came out and the scariest part was they had actually found sections inside the ship that were sunk that were, would have been dry and the people were trapped in there until they ran out of air.
0: But oh. well, we saw that one where we had to cook a few years ago. Yes. And he had been in that boat for a couple days.
1: Yeah, three days it was. Yeah. not
0: Yeah, so it's not surprising that can happen. And that, that's that got to be a rough way to go. Can you say freak out? Well, and then the thing is, if you don't get out, like, right when it comes down, you've now on-gassed. So we talk yeah. about the bends. You can't just, I mean, even if you had a torch and cut your way out, you couldn't just go to the surface. Or you, I mean, you're going to have a whole, I think I'd rather die of suffocation than the bends.
1: I prefer neither, but... You know yeah, why. well, I
0: mean, can we choose? Uh, yeah. The Sargasso Sea and Atlantic Ocean is another one that made their list. Uh, they said the eerie calmness contributes to the area's mystery. Several ships have been found drifting crewless through the peaceful waters. In 1840, the French merchant ship Rosal uh, sailed through the Sargasso Sea and until and was later discovered with its sails set, but without any crew members on board. In an effort to explain a mysterious disappearance, a 19th century... Lore told of the Sargasso Sea carnivorous seaweed, which was believed to devour sailors whole, leaving only the ship.
1: You know, from that aspect, I wonder if you can fish that area or if that's a dead area.
0: You mean just that there's...
1: My second thought comes up is, I wonder if there's any plastic there now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you say fish, you mean just because it's calm or the seaweed? Yeah,
1: could, yeah, could they fish and live? I mean, if you can eat the fish, you got moisture from it. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Now, was that the thought is that the air just died and then you were on boat and, you know, you would just consume all your supplies? And
1: That's what I thought. That's yeah. the one you only see the horror of and it doesn't rain. You don't have any water. Yeah, that would be, dead. be rough.
0: And they got Gardner Lake in Connecticut. They said, they said the lore has it that faint piano music emanates in the bottom of the lake in Salem, Connecticut. Result of a household move gone awry across the frozen, but not frozen enough lake in the 1890s. To this day, people who have scuba-dived in the lake report parts of the house and furniture still remain intact, including the aforementioned piano. They said even though it's hard to find a, uh, fa- find actual evidence of this, just for fun, though, let's assume that there's an old piano down there hosting concerts. And then and
1: we know that in the 1890s, they may have had a house, but we know what the size of the house is. Yeah. Not and, very big.
0: And then, can you guess what the next one is? Nine most haunted bodies of water. They just, they kind of, this... <laughs> The Great Lakes in America and Canada. That's that's just big. I mean, that's like saying you could say three bodies of water. We got the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Great Lakes and be done with it. <laughs> so they, they talk about uh, the Edmonds Fitzgerald, uh, they call the Ghost Ships of the Western Reserve. And this one's in the waters off Deer Park, Michigan. Now, where's Deer Park? I'm not familiar with that. They said the schooner went down in April of 1892 and was a property of famous financier uh, Peter Minch. He had been aboard with his family in the day she went down. Only the wheelman survived the wreck, and the ship continues to be sighted today. Strangely, Captain Trudell of the Great Lakes Lifesaving Surface dreamed the exact details of the accident before it happened. He saw it in such detail that he recognized the body of Peter Minch when he found it washed up on shore. I wouldn't mind
1: seeing
0: a ghost ship. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's non-fatal, I'd be for it.
1: Yeah, if i like have my GoPro with me,
0: though. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody's going to believe you. No,
1: nah, that's what I'm saying. I want a GoPro or something. Nobody it, knows I'm not tech-savvy, so I couldn't
0: have faked it. Yeah. Then here's another one. They had the W.H. Uh, Gilcher been sighted in the Straits of Mackinac when it went down in 1892. The coal, the coal steamer is said to have appeared in the fog off Mackinac Island, but not the only ship that appears near here. The others, an older vessel which returns every seven years. The phantom craft of the explorer, Sebastian, who's still trying to return to his home, uh, to his fiance in France, even though he was lost here many years ago. Boy, and they've got a few, few more. Well, and, they talked
1: about the Camloops.
0: W- which one's that? The,
1: the Camloops. That's the guy who was. The body was in the engine room. Oh, right. oh, yeah. We yeah. talked
0: about that last week, didn't we? Was it last week or uh, I, a couple I, weeks ago? Yeah. He
1: has been removed, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to read this. So, um,
0: are they just pretty much getting at that if if there's somebody who dies in the water, they're instantly a ghost?
1: Possibly. I don't
0: know. <laughs> and then they, another body of water is uh, White Rock Lake, Texas. They're saying that's haunted. The story of the Lady of the Lake or the Lady in White. It says the popular ghost story in the Dallas area, typically encounter with a spirit. It's usually reported as a man is driving on one of the roads that runs around the lake at night. When up ahead of the road is a strange sight, a young, lovely woman dripping wet, wearing a 1920s-era evening gown man pulls her over, asks the woman if she needs some help, and she asks him for a ride to the house on Gaston Ave. The man obliges. Driving through the night to Gaston Ave, when the one, the woman remains silent behind him, they finally reach the avenue. man asks the woman where she should pull over to a shock. She is gone. I think we called that Jack Daniels. Isn't that the cause of many of those?
1: I don't know, but that sounds suspiciously like the one out of Chicago, isn't it, where they, they see the lady pick her up, drop her off by the cemetery? I can't think of her name now to save my life. Yeah, I'm I, going to leave that comment about silently disappeared, leaving nothing but a wet stain on the car seat alone.
0: Yeah, that's there's there, there's nothing there, uh, yeah. and then the granddaddy of them all, which you kind of thought would have been the first one, Bermuda Triangle. <clears throat> and then I think things are getting a little too normal with that article, so I brought this next one in just for you, Mac. Just for me. Yeah,
1: appreciate that.
0: And this one is that they've found a unique metal uh, that's twenty-five here, uh, twenty-five hundred. Yeah, yeah, 2,500 years old, and they're believing it is unique metal from Atlantis. And I am hating the internet right now.
1: Looking for what that is?
0: Well, if I preload all these articles, everything locks up, and you have endless spam from videos. You don't preload, you try and paste it in, and they time out before they ever give you anything. You have to refresh them two or three times.
1: Well, if you're looking for the metal, it says it's mentioned in several ancient writings, including the story of Atlantis, recorded by Plato. According to somebody whose name I'm not going to even pronounce, it's considered second only to in value, was found and mined in many parts of Atlantis in ancient times. It's uh, been one type of bronze or brass, possibly some other metal alloy. In 2015, in an ancient shipwreck in Sicily, metal ingots were found which were made of an alloy primarily consisting of copper, zinc, and zinc, a form of brass. So, exotic spaceship type stuff, I don't see it.
0: (laughs) So, what they're saying is that somebody had figured out how to make brass before they were really supposed to. Yeah. So, pre-copper age, somebody was making brass. See, we're really good at thinking that our, our historical ancestors were idiots.
1: We can't keep track of what we did a thousand years ago, much less 10,000. Well, climate change.
0: And then we think all advances miraculously appear all at the world. You know, one individual in one part of the world is the only one who can discover it, and everybody else has to copy. It's a lot of cases of simultaneous or independent discovery of the same thing in many locations.
1: Well, like you say, you you go to Europe and ask who invented the airplane, and it ain't the Wright brothers. (laughs) Come
0: on. Well, you do the same thing. You do cars, uh, computers, everything. Steam engine? Steam engine, yeah.
1: And a lot of times it's... Engines of destruction. Uh, I was looking at uh, the Crusade movies where they're taking over Jerusalem. You look at those freaking catapults they've got and the firebombs. I mean, that would be effective today. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a lot of uh, medieval weapons that, in size and scale and scope. You could take out a city with them. Uh, but it's, it's just the kind of the complement of everything, you know, all the other technologies that go together that sometimes make them impractical. You know, really it's a game of rock, scissors, paper.
1: I just don't understand why you can go to Europe and I can cross bridges that were built by the freaking Romans and I can't go across the bridge down to St. Joe without going to a bridge that's rebuilt every 10 years. I can
0: explain that.
1: Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs>
0: we didn't build it good enough.
2: There's that for
1: another
0: episode, yeah well, I, part of it is uh, yeah, we could we could do a big episode just on that uh I, I think maybe salt might have a little bit to do with it, and I also I don't think that their their bridges pre-automobile are doing quite as well as they they have post or or they did better pre-automobile than post now here's another one for you, Mac, uh two hundred and ninety thousand dollars to study uh, shipwrecks in uh, Pensacola Bay. University of West Florida Archaeology Institute has received a grant to explore the remains of Spanish fleet in Pensacola Bay. The $290,000 grant is a support from the F- Florida Development Historical Resources. The special category grant from the state will help expand the university's study of the ships under Pensacola Bay. The oldest shipwreck found in Florida in Florida are in the bay. They are the remains of the 1559 fleet from the Luna expedition. The state found the first ship from that fleet back in the early 90s underwater. The, I said underwater, University of West Florida found the second vessel of fleet in 2006. So we're focusing on this part of the maritime archaeology research agenda since we found the second one. This according to uh, Dr. Gregory Cook, he says the department does other maritime work in the nearby bays and rivers, but Luna fleet is their main target. The grant will support a crew of 4 to 12 students and the staff actively diving on the site. So we could use that money. Oh, yeah. Somebody wants to give us a grant, well, we'll go and do it. I don't think we're, unless we find the griffin, I don't think we're going to get anything that old. 1559.
1: No. no. All I got to do is find that freaking UFO out there, and the heck, the rest of it's academic. Yeah. And
0: then uh, GoPro today, uh, their stocks slid a little bit. If you're an investor in GoPro, it's not a good day for, uh, for the value of your investment. And it's mostly out of reaction that Apple announced that they have won uh, patents for wearable cameras. Some of them include underwater camera technology and how to trigger the recording. I went and looked through it and yeah, Apple can do it. But Apple really isn't going. GoPro and Apple are different positioned gadget and gear companies. GoPro has really stolen the market by having a reasonably priced camera, rapidly innovating, making it better, and then enabling people to do something that you'd have to spend 10 times the money doing. That is not Apple's model. Apple's model is to make a premium product, add extra features that they're better at doing, and then trying to stay innovative-wise ahead of other people. So they're not good coming into an established market you know, unless they do something unique, and Mike, and, and again, Mac, uh, Apple's really about interface, I don't see this as a threat to GoPro.
1: I don't know. It's, it's quite interesting, but it didn't give us any reference to what that new camera would cost. No. And I look at the other aspect. I keep thinking when you say that kind of camera is body camera for all the police and Department of Homeland Defense people and the IRS agents, everybody's going to be wearing these cameras now, right? Oh, they're going to. Isn't that what they're stressing?
0: Oh yeah, you're going to have all the people wearing cameras. You're, you and I are going to be wearing cameras. We'll All this be camered up. You know, we'll, we'll, big, we'll big go home bigger. and dock yeah. into our, our stations, and all our daily activity will be there.
1: Because I was looking at some of the body cams; they go anywhere from two hundred to eight hundred dollars. So this looks really small, looks great, and if it's better than the GoPro, I'd be curious what the price is going to be.
0: Yeah, I well i don't think they're even to that point i mean this is more mostly they've won patents apple patents a lot of stuff that they never intend on using and what i think they did this probably came out of because it takes it takes a few years to do a patent so i'm thinking that somebody at apple early on saw gopro and and wanted to head them off because i don't think they're really so much concerned with gopro and the market they have but if you have a really dynamic Individual who's able to take a company, grow it this rapidly, and merge into different products. Now that's a threat to Apple. So this could be more of a how do they hedge their bets and uh, do the you know an offensive defensive type measure. But this is talking this... about
1: talking about GoPro real quick. Mm-hmm. If you go to their website, they have a daily drawing for every product they make. You get if you're one of the ones they draw from. Now, you, you said on it's on a daily drawing? Oh yeah, you can you can. Also, go on it every day, which I do. And look at the people. they have had a couple of people in Michigan actually win every product they make.
0: Oh, I was going to ask you how many times you won. but it...
1: they, they draw every day. Really? Yeah. So if you haven't been doing that, hey, it's worth a click.
0: I don't know. I'm on the website. I don't see anything about it. Oh, daily giveaway down there at the bottom. you got to go all sure. the way to the bottom of the footer. Yep. It says, you could they... be next. So I give yeah. them my information,
1: which. Ain't no big deal. No, it's just no. like signing it down, you know. You're not signing your life away. It. It's basically your name and your email, and where you live. But the idea of being able to win something, one of everything they make, that's pretty cool.
0: Here I am. I'm signing up for it. We need some <laughs> camera gear.
1: Uh, Sharon keeps telling me that she wins. I'm gonna have to buy it from her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna make you buy it.
1: Yeah, she says I win. You're gonna have to buy it from me. I'm not giving you anything.
0: Oh, and they got. She's the... always on
1: me to make sure. She said, "Did you go ahead and do your GoPro today? I did." She has a little sign she puts on the computer when you watch, right? Sign up for GoPro. <laughs> I think she's
0: a, she's trying to preempt it. She's afraid that if you don't win it, you're going to end up buying it.
1: Uh, well, I'm gonna have to wait now and
0: just get something from Apple. Well, the whole the even what did I do? I unplug myself here. Can you you're still hearing me? Okay. All yeah, we're still audio, hearing. All my audio went wacky on me. I hit the stand and made things go crazy. Uh, but the, all this camera technology is advancing. Everybody's advancing. And I have another article which we don't cover, uh, but it talks about for video and audio recording just some of the changes that were at, at CES. And I look at that, and uh, we're definitely going to have to do a a, a video program. Um, so that does it for scuba the News. Now I. Now my- TV
1: stations, you forgot one, didn't you?
0: the the yeah no that that one's just for us that's not oh just for us yeah so we go through because i was just looking at gear but now my headphones are all wacky everything's echoing back driving driving me nuts short trip as my wife would say
2: i was gonna say you could walk that far yeah
0: (laughs) so for uh here's some feedback in the show last last week we uh talked about the not so great reviews so we had uh you know several listeners respond and here's one of them we had jacob uh marsh uh he, he sent us an email and he said i just listened to episode 226 and you guys talk about the negative feedback you received from a one-time listener and i thought i should add another opinion to the mix i found the podcast began listening about three months ago i really appreciate the passion of the hosts, the guests bring to the show and look forward to listening to articles you select for discussion and hearing the details of dives you and the guys have been on each week I was pleasantly surprised to hear that you guys are mostly from Michigan. I'm originally from Dundee, Michigan, and for the past 15 years, I've lived out of state while I served in the Air Force, currently in Omaha, Nebraska. I listen to the podcast during my daily commute and also sometimes tune in when I jog or do chores around the house through Stitcher app or my phone thank you for getting me excited about diving, especially during the cold winter months. I'm working up the courage to do a winter dive and currently appreciate all the hard work you guys put in the show and don't let a couple of negative reviews influence your effort. Looking forward to your next episode, Jacob. So uh, we certainly appreciate that. And that's the type of feedback we're looking for. Uh, you know, the, the great reviews are, are, are awesome, but we're also looking for how you listen and, and what you listen to, because then we can tailor our content to that. So we're assuming it's mostly drive time and that's, how we do it, but as things change, maybe driverless cars will will change that. Uh, you know, rocket ships. Who knows? It, so, it
1: would be interesting that, to have comment. Is is there is there some other kind of subject or a topic somebody would like an opinion on?
0: Yeah. Was well, there anything you want? Like, I I was playing around with an idea. I thought maybe we could cover a new shipwreck each week. You know, there's thousands of shipwrecks across the world. You know, we could start with the ones that we know. Uh, and then, then maybe we would do a post that went with them. So on the website, we'd add a, a new shipwreck each, each week and we could talk about it and just explain kind of the story behind it. That might be interesting.
1: Uh, I'd be curious to know how many people really actively use school Board. I mean, <laughs> I haven't really used it in, in a long time unless I'm looking for a specific topic or a subject I have an interest in at the moment. How many people really use that? I'm I'm just curious.
0: I, you know, I don't know, but that'd be a good question. That's one of the things I've thought about adding. I talked about a few episodes back we were going to do, uh, and I haven't gotten to the website. I'm I'm still crazy busy, but I need to update the website and we'll add a option where you can subscribe to the show notes. So the same show notes that I'm using, you would get before the show so you could follow along. And then along with that, I thought we would have a link each week to a new survey question where we could get feedback from people on different topics, you know, different ideas like, you know what type of gear are you using, uh, what types of trips are you taking. Not anything that we're going to sell to anybody. The The results would just be freely available out there for anybody who took the survey. But uh, just, just to let us know and you know, just a little bit for entertainment value and curiosity to see how things are being done.
1: Well, I do have a topic to, to talk about for a moment. Sure, go ahead. This is called the Southwestern Michigan and Great Lakes Issues. And it's not, again, we may be ignorant of some topics or disagree on the content about the topics, but we are cognizant of what's going on in our water areas. And let me just bring up three items that we know about other people might not know. Number one is Lake Erie has some tremendous and vast dead zones. And looking to the, to the reports on them, they say they're both weather-related and climate change. By climate change, they doesn't necessarily mean the temperature change all of a sudden created by guys breathing a lot. They're talking about phosphorus runoff. The dead zones, 3,400 square miles actively in Lake Erie. What, what happens is the algae dies and decays, oxygen level drops and kills the fish. And that has been a significant problem for the last three years considering that the average depth of Lake Erie is only 62 feet, and it produces more types of fish that people eat, which is walleye and perch, than all the other Great Lakes combined. I didn't know that. No. So That was an article. That was just an excerpt from the article in the Herald Palladium, on 1-9 of this year, Section B5. The second one that was really neat, and again, we know about this, But they've just developed an app to track invasive species, and it's the Midwest Invasive Species Information Network website. And they did it to track sightings of invasive species. It's operated out of Michigan State University. They reference over 310 different invasive plants and animals to this area. And the last little item, this is really neat, and this is going to really be a problem down the road. Uh, This was Great Lakes teeming with tiny plastic fibers. And this is uh, by AP environmental writer, John Flesher. They were talking about the Great Lakes are washed in tiny bits of plastic that are synthetic fibers from garments, Mm -hmm. cleaning cloth known as microfibers. They're fine filaments made of petroleum-based materials such as polymer and nylon woven together in fabrics. They also include microbeads used in facial and tooth care products, which now, because they realize they're a problem, meaning they're actually so small they go through all the filters using your local waterworks that you're actually drinking them. Uh, They're replacing these products by natural substances such as ground-up fruit pits, which I thought was quite interesting. They said 12% of the plastic litter in the Great Lakes is microfiber. And that's from the Journal of Environmental Science and Technology and also excerpts, if you read the uh, Indiana-Illinois Sea Grant Program, very nice articles I have on that. So we do look at that kind of stuff. So.
0: Yeah, well, happening out there. And the thing with the the microfibers is that can also be a problem uh, with your home. If you've got a home septic system, that can impact and clog your septic because it doesn't it doesn't break down like you know other material. You know, a septic system is designed for the bacteria to start eating that. And even if you have uh, the bacteria that will eat plastics and oils, don't work at the same rate that the other bacteria's do. So you can impact your systems.
1: Well, they're also looking at the aspect of, you know, almost anything, if it's fine enough and you breathe it, it's going to screw you up, like sand, mm-hmm. silica poisoning, if you're a sandblaster. Yeah. Uh, obviously, asbestos and in the, in the friable fibers. So these microbeads, they believe may be a lot bigger problem than they had originally thought, because when you burn stuff, a lot of times you don't do true combustion, and they're in the air, and you're breathing those products. Yeah. It's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, if you, we you know, like we said earlier, we love those five-star reviews. If you can go to iTunes, and leave us a review. We're also on TalkShoe, show 73759. You can listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio. And then also, we love it when you tune into the uh, Reno com or WRVO Radio. And they've got an app out there that you can download and listen to the program, and I believe they're running us on Fridays right now, but you check over the website and they give you the rotations of all the outdoor shows that they have. Let's see, did we get any diving in this last week?
1: No, I think it was more preparatory for this weekend, the Saturday, so anybody in the locale who's listening and would like to join us, uh, Lake 16 on Saturday, high noon, which is 12 o'clock, and that's uh, over in Allegan County. If you look for Martin Dragstrip, that's in the same vicinity. Uh we hear it's minimum six inches of ice up to probably eight inches, which is what we're hoping for minimum, so it's a lot nicer to put the warming stations where we're diving as opposed to back on shore and having to walk back and forth.
0: yeah, every time I've done it up there we've we've always brought the ice shanties out to the to the diving hole
1: but depending on what the first test hole is, uh, we'll make that determination at that time.
0: Now, have you talked to anybody who's who's actually done a ice dive there this year?
1: No, but uh, what we did is uh, we called up the, the bait stations around uh, Plainville well and the Allegan area, trying to get a report uh, on what the uh, ice conditions are, because some places are really pretty sketchy, three inches, three and a half, four inches, really? with uh, honeycomb, honeycomb. Um, so we wanted to make sure it's usually colder in the middle of the state than it is here also. Yeah. I know you go up 100 miles north and you can put your tank on there. But down here, we've still got some weird ice. So six, eight. I hear that uh, Gull Lake, especially in the north end, I saw a picture of it the other day. And it's got to be eight inches plus because there was at least a dozen fishermen and people out there ice skating like crazy. Yeah. But it'll uh, first test all of be the determining factor and uh, come on out supposed to be 30 freaking seven degrees in the daytime
0: yeah that I was wondering how that was going to affect things if that was going to get too slushy
1: well we're curious about how much snow is on the top uh, you know it's nice to do the wagon wheel and go to the light go to the light because we do plan on doing a lineless dive uh, the area the, the idea is to get above the platform put a line from the top to the platform put the stage bottle there Uh anybody else who goes down you don't touch a thing especially the bottom yes take a bail out and go towards the light
0: yeah that's that that, that's a great location to dive we've done quite a few ice dives there but yeah i was um yeah i I saw that was going to warm up and i was like darn you know we we need a little bit more time now i'm not going to be able to make it unfortunately i've got to play chaperone so that will be my duty on on saturday but i'll be in, with you in spirit
1: we can have you home by four o'clock <laughs> no she's she's
0: she's going ice skating down in south bend so
1: take her ice skating with us
0: yeah yeah we could do that i, I don't think the teenagers uh the lake 16 uh ice skating is is quite the same
2: probably not
0: now uh jim how about, how about you have you been getting any diving in
2: not yet been too busy with other items that i had to do down here so i'm Hoping in the next two or three days to get a couple dives in.
0: So it's, but it's, uh, at least it's a little warmer. It's a little
2: warmer. I'm not complaining about that.
1: Sounds like a lot warmer. You now, should be ashamed of yourself.
0: Now, we've got dive shows should be coming up here pretty quick.
1: Uh, actually, yes. I'll probably be starting to put those on the club site uh, if I get off my dead butt this weekend, if not before.
0: Okay. And that would be mudclub.scoobobobsessed.com.
1: Or Facebook and or both.
0: Yeah.
2: I think there's a dive show basically every weekend in February.
0: Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, because it goes February and then well into March. I think when when's Ghost Ships? That one might even be into April, isn't it?
1: I I have it over and down. I just don't have a handy with yeah. me right now.
0: Yeah. Just we're just testing your memory.
1: Well, if uh, it might already be on the club side, I I don't remember if I put it there already. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we I think that does about does it for this week.
1: You got a good joke.
0: Well, no, it's not a good one, but yeah, we got a joke. <laughs> and uh, this one I, I I had to think of, because just because of the time of the year, it's a, it's a little bit appropriate, and we'll, we'll pick on our non-scuba diving water enjoyers. So two snorkelers go on an ice fishing trip since they didn't think that diving was for them. They ran all the equipment, the auger, the rods, the heater, the ice house, the car, even a nice little cabin in the woods. I mean, they spent a fortune first day they go ice fishing but they don't catch anything same thing happens in the second day and then the third day it goes like this until finally at the last day of their vacation one of the snorkelers catches a fish as they're driving home they're really depressed one snorkeler turns to the other and says do you realize this one lousy fish we caught cost us 1500 bucks the other snorkeler says wow it's a good thing we didn't catch any more
1: i know guys like that I, I, that, that's a good but bad one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we don't get any hate mail from snorkelers. Hey,
2: we a- get more hate mail
1: from uh,
2: Whale on the Beach?
0: <laughs> <laughs> whale
1: on the Beach? I'm the one that exploded? We, we we sort of went ballistic on that one? Yeah, no? I, was, I was
2: listening to the show I missed last week, and I heard about the Whale on the Beach.
1: Remember what you talking about there? there? <laughs> I,
0: I'm completely drawing a blank. The
1: one that was on the beach was full of gas, and the guy cut him with a lance. And, a oh, blue old pack. Yeah. and then we got talking about blowing up whales yeah
0: you, you know we don't get anything on that you would think that the well, we probably deserve it <laughs> nobody says anything well it, until next time go out there and get wet
1: and stay safe did we get a joke this week <laughs> <laughs>
0: It doesn't play on? a little sound. Are we still on?